I'm Zeke Binion. And I'm Matt Rich. I lead product design at Participate, a company designed to empower educators to grow and impact students around the world. And I'm the founder of CodeForDesigners.com. I'm a front-end developer at TableXI, a UX design and software development company located in Chicago. And this is ProductShip.fm. We're a show about what it takes to design and build products that people love to use. Hello, and welcome back to ProductShip.fm. This was one of those shows where Zeke and I did not have a real specific topic once we got started, but I think we ended up in a really interesting place. Uh, We sort of wound our way about and got to this this idea of dogmatism in product development and uh, sort of the the way we latch on to the things that we're comfortable with and the ways that we're comfortable with with doing things kind of throughout the whole product development cycle and, and the impact that that can have on the end result. Um, I think this turned out to be a really interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it. All right, Zeke. So this topic's a little bit free form at the moment. We'll see where we end up. Yeah. But I think uh, we were just talking um, a little bit before we were recording and it was getting a little interesting. So we thought, hey, well, let's hit the record button and see where it takes us. So yeah, I'm um, all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me tee this off with, I think, something that we have both been annoyed with over the years. Um, uh, we, we've both worked most, probably mostly in sort of an agile software development. And I, I will say agile with air quotes. Um, yeah, agile-ish. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that either of us has really been in like a 100% super dedicated, hardcore agile software development process. But I think that's almost... I th- the, the point that I think I want to make is that that is the way that it probably should be. I think a super dogmatic approach can be problematic and cause it opens up doors to like you, you said before we started recording, you know, you can, it's an, ex- it can be an excuse to, to create bad work. Yeah. You know, work fast, fail quickly. Those yeah. kinds of mon- those kind of mantras sort of like, I don't know. They just, they don't, they don't feel right to me. I don't, not all the time. I don't, I don't know. I don't like the way those. No, it's kind of like, to me, it kind of feels a bit like the in- inmates running the asylum and, that's probably the strongest way I can can phrase it, but what you end up having is these scenarios where a mantra is an excuse for poor work or poor craftsmanship. You know, the example being the canonical example being fail fast or um, being if you're not embarrassed by the first thing you put out, then you've moved too slow. I I think what it can mean for teams who are not performing well or who are just, yeah, we're in agile and we're just going to do it is, Hey, you know, let me create some code. That's not up to anyone's standards who would ever walk in this place as a developer, or let me just rush to a design and not actually try to figure out what the real problem is we're solving. And because I'm, I'm just hearing from my people, Hey, let's just move fast and be embarrassed by it. And I think, oh, my favorite is, you know, the users will tell us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just not true. Like, coming from a user perspective, the truth is most people are nice, kind, have great spirits, and they have no desire on the planet to tell you what's wrong with your product. They just simply leave. I was going to say, they just won't use it. Yeah. You don't get a lot of, well, you're not going to get 
second, third, fourth chances with with a lot of these users. I, I think that's such a I, like you might you might only have one shot to hook somebody in. So, I mean, I get the point of of not of getting stuck and never releasing something, for example, because you think it's not it's not perfect. It's not the the perfect thing. And and that there's there's a middle ground here for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think we end up using these terms in sort of like we're cutting corners where we shouldn't be cutting corners in a lot of ways. Like I, I end up hearing it from not necessarily the people on the team right. <laughs> like that I'm working with rarely will, will speak like this. It usually is coming from, you know, maybe a, a, a stakeholder or something like that, that wants basically they want you to move faster. They want, and then they, they use these terms to, to, I think sort of, justify speed and things like that yeah. when, when when the reality is that you can really really shoot yourself in the foot hardcore if you move too quickly in a lot of in, in a lot of these scenarios yeah i think like one of the ways to shoot yourself on a foot and you know i'll take it from a personal example is i remember there was a piece of software i think it was actually envisioned that was you know around back in Oh, let's say 2007 or something like that. It was just did not look good. Um, did not look good. Did not work well. I don't remember if it was specifically Envision or if it was a tool like that. I, I think it was Envision, and I'm pretty sure it took me six years or so before I even bothered to look again. Yeah, you get turned off, right? Like yeah. you, you see something and it or it or it fails you in some sort of pretty substantial way. And it's like I'm not I'm not going to put my trust in that anymore. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm done where I think Jarrett Spool kind of has a good quote around us. And it was sort of like, if you take the analogy of like building bridges, right? Like building an actual bridge over like a body of water, you know, a river or something like that. (laughs) It feels like in some ways we're currently designing products where people could fall into the river and we're like no no not enough people have fallen into the river we're fine <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll tell us when we have the bridge built right like <laughs> when they when they make it across we'll know like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean do you think uh, as we we're talking about this i'm starting to i'm in my time in the industry it feels like when i f- there was a phase where that where where i was hearing this a lot yeah you know this like we are we got you know agile startup kind of crap we got to move fast and fail early and all that sort of stuff which there are some good things to some of that that way of thinking but it feels like we've taken at least in the last maybe year or two a bit of a step back where i'm not hearing that quite as much like pe- maybe people are starting to understand that that doesn't necessarily work that well all the time i mean are you noticing that too well you know what's interesting is i think i'm noticing people talking about that less in public and more in private. Um, so I'm not seeing a lot of podcasts or um, talks where people are going, hey, you know what? Let's let's fail fast. Most people have kind of switched the mental model to let's learn fast and let's build quality products. Um, you know, some of that is a self-selected audience for me because, uh, you know, I follow folks like Basecamp or Aaron Walter or uh, anyone in sort of the like research and UX field is going to talk about learning. And so I think we've begun to understand that more. And actually, I think some of the tech, um, like, like Y Combinator 
for example. Uh, some of the tech startups folks have started going, no, 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 you don't want to release something that's terrible. You What you really want to do is um, you still want to move fast, but you want to focus on learning and you want to focus on you know, then delivering smaller products than you think, but still holistic products. This is still something someone would use. You just happen to be, you're making uh, the example being a really good skateboard, not a really good electric scooter yet. Right. I th- I think, yeah, I think that's what I'm seeing too. And that where we've shifted from just releasing garbage and seeing how it, see if it sticks against the wall it's shifting more to learning fast. So like, how do we, how do we learn what we need to know quickly? Right. So that we can build, so that we can build the thing. I mean, it's not like you're building, I'm not, we're not advocating for like building, um, you know, a hardcore, super researched, full featured product on day one. No, that's not, that's not the point (laughs) necessarily. The thing that I think I'm advocating for or just see, I mean, I feel like we're shifting a little bit this way. And I think it's good is that you're right. Like the more of the, like the learning thing, like we're figuring out ways or we're, we're noting, we're knowing that we need, we want to move quickly, how we move quickly and not shoot ourselves in the foot is by knowing what we should build or just having maybe more of a, you're not going to hit it perfect every time, but by having some basis for what, for what you're going to release you, you or like having some research behind it, you're going to, you're going to hit more users more often right yeah. away rather than losing them. Maybe like if you, maybe you release, you know, a couple of features that are really great. They, you know, strike the nail on the head for, for a lot of people. They, maybe they want a little bit more, but they're still going to use your thing because you, you scratched a niche for them at least. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's probably worth talking about. I think there are maybe three categories of, kind of decisions you know some of them are obvious that you can really like test and learn very quickly um some of them are just best practices and we've known them for years you don't it's you're not really betting much on it it's almost kind of like a base requirement Um, but there are those fuzzy things that it's hard to test um and i can think of one example right now uh, that we're kind of experimenting with is just figuring out, you know, what does uh, taxonomy look like at scale for teachers, right? For learning how to um, effectively, the product I work on now is a platform designed to help teachers learn to be better teachers. Well, then in these, in this very broad set of uh, users who are experts in a field, how do they categorize things and where do those categoric inconsistencies play in? How do we make sure people are getting relevant content based on those results? And that's, that's hard to test. Um, you kind of have to invest some, some muscle into both looking at some data. If you can find it, um, you have to invest some muscle into actually building things and not, half a thing uh, you actually kind of have to build a thing for people to, to use and then try to learn from that as well um it's just this weird sort of fuzzy area where you know you can't design something like a like a hidden door exp- uh, well, a hidden man experiment where somebody in the background is 
inputting tags and you're putting that in front of a user and going, hey, are these the right tags? Would you use that to search? Do you end up in these places where it's just like, you really do need data, but you still have to make something great first for people to use. Yeah. And that doesn't fit any part of a process or framework or anything like you, like if you were just adhering to, well, here's how we, here's what we do. We do with that. We, you know, we do our research bit here and this is how we do that. And then we build a prototype and then we get in 10 users and then we put it in front of them and then we do <laughs> user testing. And then like, you know, it's not that works a lot of the time, I'm sure, but there are situations where you have to break out of that. It's it just, you know, you can't lean on your known processes necessarily. No, uh, you know, it, it, you're just not going to get to the right result. Well, you won't find the thing you're looking for, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's I guess that's the end game, right? Like you have to figure out what you're looking for and make sure your process or your front your framework is not holding you back from getting to that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think uh on the UX side of things, people can use usability testing as a crutch. Right? Here's this design that I I don't know or I don't believe in. Um or we spent just a couple of moments really quickly designing let me throw that in front of a few people and see and yeah me as a designer i can tell there's issues there but you know what let's just test for those issues and see what happens and in those environments you end up learning basically you're you're learning the stuff that you already knew and i don't think that really should be the goal it should be to find at least in terms of usability testing it really is a tool meant to evaluate the usability of a site and people's preferences. You can also test preferences for specific designs, but really it is, where are the problems? It's not always the right tool to actually evaluate whether this product is going to be successful. And sometimes it, it feels like we can use some of these tools, like, like usability testing, like a hammer searching for you know, a nail, but we're really using it to you know, hit a screw. We're using it to uh, open a refrigerator like we're just using it for context that is wasn't really designed for so what do you think like why why is that why does that happen is it like a comfort thing so like i know how to i know how to perform this in this context this usability test i've done it <clears throat> a bunch of times i know how to you know get people in to do it and all that stuff and you just sort of i don't know you're blind to maybe the fact that you're not going to get the information that you need um, because you're you're like going to this comfort comfortable space and yeah. doing this comfortable test that seems on the surface to to get you what you want, but in reality it doesn't. Like, is there some like? I think it. I think the the answer to the question most directly, I think, is oddly marketing. Um, like some of these processes, just like agile, have become to the point where it's like. Your, your business stakeholders know what it is. Um, other people have heard about it. And it's become like, here's this, here's this thing that solves all my problems. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, designers and UXers know the problems with specific methods. I think developers know the problems with specific methods. But it becomes like this, this sort of mantra that everybody ends up buying into. Um, even if we don't think it's the right solution at the time my gut is usually that you you have smart people around you have to 
ensure that they have the ability to be critical and really think of what the right tool is at the right time. And we also have to be careful and say, just know if this is the wrong tool, but also be solution oriented and suggest a different tool. I wonder if some of this comes from uh, maybe some inexperience with some people. Maybe. You know, you don't, you, you're sort of, I, I think reaching for the thing you're comfortable with yeah. is certainly something that if, you're, if your breadth of experience is a little bit um, smaller, yeah. that, that's going to be more comfortable to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm drawing some parallels to, you know, more of the developer engineering side of, of building things too. And I think that there are, there are some interesting little parallels with that where you, you may reach for a tool or a whatever that you just know and are comfortable with, even though it's perhaps not the right choice. So, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that happens. I think that happens quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, we probably talked about this in an earlier episode when we were talking around uh, facilitation. And one of the things I end up doing is I just, I just have like a, almost like a Rolodex of activities um, that I know I can jump into and I kind of know what I need, why I need them and what to get out of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But to that point, if you don't have that Rolodex built up and you know, usability testing is the thing you're comfortable with, or uh, you haven't worked outside of an agile environment before, so you're 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 kind of exclusively used to agile. You're right. Maybe it is just a tool and comfort thing to for some folks. I think it, I think that's certainly part of it. Um, I, you know, I there and I think we get we all get we all get into these patterns too, where you know, okay, I'm a I'm a I'm more most comfortable writing Python code. So yeah, new project comes in. I just don't even think twice. I spin up my my core starter Python project because that's what I'm comfortable with. I've got you know I know all the ins and outs of it, and that's <laughs> you know you don't even you don't even think about that. And I think I think that specific idea applies like across the whole project. Yeah, all the I mean all facets of it. And I and there's some good things to that too, right? We we can't, you can't really discount everything from that process because you can. It, it's good to have consistency with a lot of these things. It's also good um, to have constraints. Sometimes that's helpful for creativity. Very true. So I think it's it's interesting as I'm thinking about this. There's there's definitely a a, a balance. There's there's like a sweet spot here, and I, that I think that you can only find that when you have more experience. I don't know how else to do that. Yeah. I think I talk about it a little bit from the perspective of taste. If you're doing things that aren't up to your standards of taste and you know, you're finding a mantra or tool or something someone selected outside of that, that's probably the time to question what you're doing and what you're using. Oh, I'm going to butcher that example from Pixar. Um, But uh, so there's this really good book um, called Creativity Inc. Uh, it's put out by Pixar, and it just talks about like their process and what they've gone through. And they're, in the book, there's this story about a time where they were doing Toy Story 2. Right? Toy Story 1 was super successful. It's been released to the box office. By this time, Disney owns Pixar, or there's some 
I don't know that it's ownership, but there's some arrangement with Disney already happening. And Disney, Pixar is like, hey, let's do Toy Story 2. Um, and Disney, up until that point in time, has only released like version 2 of anything, for the most part, straight to video. It's just what they do. They just assume it's going to be bad. At least bad enough that it's not shouldn't be in a movie theaters. And let's go straight to video with it. That's cool. We'll get our straight to video sales. We know how to do this. Pixar says, "Hey, let's bet big. We think this is this is still a feature movie." So Pixar says, "Disney agrees." I think much to Pixar's surprise, Pixar goes in and starts working on Toy Story two, and they bring in new writers because you know their writers are busy on a different project. They've, they're great writers. Um, Pixar has a great process and they end up coming up with terrible work. It's not anyone's fault, but it just wasn't up to the standards they were looking for. It wasn't up to Pixar's taste. And so they ended up having to bring back the old writer who did Toy Story 1 and, you know, magically things got better. And it's, you know, as much as the story to me could be about the genius of that one writer, it might simply just be about the importance of making sure that every step of the thing you're putting out is actually up to your level of taste. And if it's not, no matter what the tool is, no matter what the framework is, you're not going to get a great result. And you have to take that step back and evaluate and change and be flexible enough to go in a new direction. Right, the mantra of trusting the process will fall flat if you're still not producing good work. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how else to phrase that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can agilely produce some terrible stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and I can do that reliably and on the schedule, but it's garbage. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it it makes me think of... um, Oh, I always go back to front-end development, but it just makes me think about like where you know accessibility sits now on everyone's radar. And it just it feels like it's again, it's this thing of taste, it's this thing of expectations within your team. Like your team has to more than buy-in. You know, buy-in is sort of like, okay, we get it, let's let's do it. It almost has to just be a part of your DNA. It's just part of getting the work done. Um, and I think that's to to some end that I think that's what taste has to become for any organization. Right. There's sort of like um I don't know, you just like you know it when you see it kind of kind of attitude. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know how you I mean, you know, I I think a lot of that I think a lot of that does come with experience again. Like you sort of you just you've you've done some things. You've put out some garbage. You've put out some good <laughs> things. You know, and you you know you know the difference, and yeah. and you can spot it. You know when you see it, sort of thing, and and you can't. It's not like you can't you can't justify garbage with what. Well, we just this is what we this is we'd followed the process like we thought we were going to, and and this is what happened, and that's just how it is. That's you know right. that doesn't that shouldn't that shouldn't fly. So you know like. I feel like a, a pure agile process is rarely, rarely the right process for a project. Like just 100% hardcore to the T, 
agile software development. Like, I feel like that rarely works. You know, I, I would say if your goal is to uh, piss off your developers and put out terrible work, that's the only like accomplishment pure agile I've ever seen give. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's scenarios where it works super well on on teams that are uh, that are very into it, but I just have never I've never seen yeah. the, the pure the pure process work. So I, I think I mean it, yeah, yeah. It's just there's always, and and honestly, I think I think it changes. So we we work agile ish, like Zeke mentioned earlier, and mm-hmm. I think that that is sort of like I'm trying to that that almost like that idea kind of <laughs> covers <Yeah>. everything <laughs> that we're talking about in my mind, and that there's you you have some ideas about how things should should how you should do things mm-hmm. but you need to make sure that you're i think you have to be flexible about all the all of the things in the in the middle you know there okay here's you know a lot of times we do this a lot of times we do that yeah. is that the right is that the right approach here i mean even talking from an agile development perspective i we we like turn that dial up and down project to project it changes with team structure with client constraints with design mm-hmm. constraints all sorts of things there's a there's a myriad of things that that are going to change like how how we adhere or don't adhere you know yeah. <laughs> to to agile software development and it's all it's very it's purposeful like there's reasons for why we're doing it we don't just immediately pull out the you know the handbook and just start start rocking on it like it just doesn't work like that no and we're, we're a consulting company so it's like we we have to be flexible to the situation and the thing that we're building and the team that we're working with and the clients that we're working with and all that kind of stuff but um i think even in a single product company i, I bet and actually i suspect it's super easy to really get set in some ways in, oh yeah in a single product company so i i almost like feel and it's been years since I've worked on a single product company, but it, it seems like <laughs> like you almost should be a more on guard for that sort of, you know, for, for getting stuck yeah. doing things that aren't exactly productive just because they're the way you're do- the way you're used to doing it. Yeah. yeah. Habits habits have a hard time changing. You almost have to like stop quarterly almost and just go, what are the things that are working and what's not? Yeah. And I guess that's part, <laughs> hilariously that's hilariously that's part of an agile process, isn't it? A retrospectives. Yeah, ironically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but how what happens if your retrospective is this agile process isn't working? Do we <laughs> you know, like what what happens what happens then? Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I think I think con- like I think just having having the awareness that you should you should be paying attention to like is this actually working? Do we need to adjust something? And I guess conversely, not being too quick to oh, are you there? Jump to the new thing, to the next thing, to something different. Yeah, that didn't work. We should try, or you know, I don't know if that's working. Let's try something. Like you, you, you can get a little bit too far on the other side on the other side of this too. I think. Yeah. So there's this um, really interesting example in the design world. Actually, I. I think I heard Aaron Walter talking about it on a the podcast from Arillus. Um, well, we'll add a link in the show notes. He used to be at Mailchimp. Now he's at Envision, and one of the projects he kind of was working on, which is a kind of a giant research project, is uh, something called the Design Genome Project. And effectively, what they're doing is 
you know, being in vision, being in, uh, you know, basically inside of a lot of companies, uh, they always get to question, hey, what's, you know, what's working out at other companies, what's not? I mean, it kind of reminds me of Agile, right? Like, what what's working? Oh, this Agile thing's working. So what they did, instead of just giving kind of like one solution, is actually they've got a bunch of stories about different organizations and how they how they work. Um, and they, instead of looking at just tech, which is kind of common, because, you know, this is intended for designers, they looked at, you know, stuff like Herman Miller, who, you know, makes chairs and, you know, desk and things like that. And IBM, which certainly probably does some UI, but is more known for, like, how to how they make processors and things like that. Um, Google's in there as well. Pinterest is in there as well. But what I think is the really interesting thing is a story he talked about was that um, only 86% of the companies he talked to use a design system. And be like, oh, that might be like a style guide or something like that. And I immediately thought to myself, oh, that must be the lore those people who aren't using it must be on the lower half of the spectrum. Netflix is one of those companies. They just, they don't use a design system. They think it holds them back and they value freedom and flexibility more than anything else. And so, you know, Netflix feels like a consistent experience to me. Yeah. That's super interesting actually. Cause you would immediately think like, well, design system has to be uh, a good thing. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I'll be honest. There's, I, I think I've, I've absolutely fallen into that trap. Like, but yeah, you're right. Like, I, if Netflix is not using a design system, whatever they're doing seems to be working fine. I don't. Yeah, it's not. Uh, you know, that's that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, so I that <laughs> the the message there, right, is that that just didn't work for them. Yeah, and they realized it and decided that that was not the right way that they wanted to approach their design work yeah you know it's it's every company has a different system dna because they all have different people and you just got to figure out like what's the thing that's working for us it probably isn't agile in its purest form um it probably isn't like a standard set of uh ux practices it's got to be something that works for you yeah, and it's an evolving thing and it's a moving target and you have to constantly be reevaluating this, I think, as you know, as you you're I mean, I like I I've learned you everybody learns you learn so much, your 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 skill set changes and that is gonna have an impact on this kind of stuff too. It's it's a it's a it's a absolutely a moving target. Yeah. Yeah. Which means you constantly you have to kind of be in this constant state of evaluation. I mean, it's totally possible Netflix in three years will be like, hey, we actually do need a design system. Because, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. You know? Yeah. All right, Zeke. So let's let's kind of tie up the conversation here. Um, I think I think there's a couple of probably kind of core takeaways that we've kind of landed on, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you had to sum it all up, it's simply uh, don't be dogmatic. Uh, which is a common thing that you probably have heard a million times. And it also is about taste, right? We can have any of these processes that might work very well for one group or not for another. And there's a lot of flexibility in terms of figuring out what the right process is for you and your team. Um, but ultimately, 
you've got to apply a taste to everything you're doing. Are you making the right, something that feels good to make for your, your customers? Um, and that can be really hard. You know, as a designer, I spent years uh, developing my taste to the point where I have a good feel for what uh, I think users expect. I think I have a really, very good feel for what a good design looks like and bad design looks like. And that's just as a designer, Matt. I'm sure you know you you've had a similar experience as a developer. For sure, I, I think that yeah, I think the point there is to you have a it ends up being a check, yeah. right? So like I I know what I know what good software feels like. Um, you know what good design feels like. Yeah. Let's let's make sure that we're checking against that. And if we realize we notice that the work that we're putting out, whatever uh, whatever phase of the process is not living up to our standards um let's make an adjustment let's be flexible let's change something yeah don't don't lean on this process that you've become super comfortable with just because you're super comfortable with it <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that's as that's as concise as i can put it i think <laughs> well said thanks for listening to another episode of product ship the show about what it takes to build and design products that people love to use i'm zeke you can find me on twitter at ebinion Uh, E-B-I-N-I-O-N. And I'm Matt. You can find me on Twitter at M-G-R-E-I-C-H. To listen to all of our episodes, go to productship.fm. And then please leave us a review if you'd like on your favorite podcast app. See you later.